passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to what has officially been christened post Puraresu. I am John Pollock, joined by the man that pushed forward for the name of this show, and we finally have it. He is W.H. Park joining us here. Welcome, W.H. We finally, after after all these months, we have a name for this show. Yeah, this is like our fifth show, but the first one under the uh, post-Perez uh, name. It's, it's kind of nice it's, to have It's name. real now. It's real. It's uh, what a commitment I we now feel, have. I don't feel like just a guest now. On the net, on uh, the site, I feel like I'm part of it now. Yeah, you're now you're now one of the main members of the uh, of the 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 Saturday Night Live cast. You're not just one of the uh, the aspirings. You're 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 in the club now. It's great. I, I'm hoping to um, get on one of the roundtables in the future. Oh, we'd love to have you on a roundtable. Those are uh, yeah, we're uh, we're looking at some uh, some guests in the near future. Do you do you have any uh, travels in the near future? Are you do you have any? Uh, plans to come back to toronto anytime soon i don't have any like vacation plans back to toronto i am c- contemplating a permanent return in the near future maybe oh my goodness what a tease yeah. i had no idea about this maybe i'm still debating it like there's a lot of things going on in my head about like staying in japan or coming back to toronto so it, regardless i feel like if, even if i come back to toronto because of like all the the availability of Japanese wrestling on the internet that doing a show will not be a problem. No, not at all. It's kind of interesting to even go back to when you moved to Japan, 2011, I want to say. 2011, yes. I, I have a good memory on these things. I remember doing the, the Super J Cup review with you right before you were leaving, and we uh, we went out for uh, for drinks after that. Um, yeah, that was one of my favorite shows like with you and Wei. That was a lot of fun. It's it's always it's always fun when you can do it um, uh, in person as well. I always find there's just uh, not not that Skype is a, a negative. Just if I have my it's a necessity. There's a, a saying in Japanese. It's called it's a word called shogunai. It means can't be helped. Ah, that's good. That's good. Maybe that can be a it's a good life lesson right there. But my point of all this was that even when you go back to 2011, compared to today, how you can follow. <laughs> Uh, the worldwide scene. It's unbelievable. It's, uh, we're going to go over this later today. WH is going to give us his, uh, his rankings of streaming services, but all streaming services that, uh, were not around in 2011. None of this was around. It's unbelievable, really. Uh, we have a lot to tackle on this month's show. I want to start off with, uh, two pretty notable passings, uh, that being Bruno San Martino and Matoko Baba, who, Certainly had their connections as well through Giant Baba as well. Um, I've kind of spoken quite a lot on on Bruno San Martino, wrote a bit about uh, Matoko Baba. But um, starting off with Bruno, uh, WH, uh, how much of Bruno were you kind of familiar with uh, growing up? Because he did have quite a big presence in Toronto, but that was also, um, you know, pre-80s as well when he had, you know, his major, you know, coming up here every two weeks on Sundays for the Tunnies. So I'm going to say my wrestling fandom started just after the first WrestleMania yeah, uh, through friends of mine. And at that point, Bruno probably was in the tail end of his career. I think he was wrestling a little bit, yep. primarily with his son, David, in tag matches. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're a fan of the WF at that time, you can't escape the the legend, kind of the shadow of Bruno. Like he's he was the longest reigning WWF champion at that time. And still, I think. Seven, eight years, you know, in total, two, two reigns. Yep. Um, so, like, I'm very aware of who he was, and I got to see, like, on old Coliseum video releases, like, some of his matches. Um, he's just really, you know, a really big presence in my fandom of the WWF, you know. He, to me, is the figure that so often, if if I was just talking to a stranger that 
gives me that weird look about professional wrestling. Like there's there's many figures in professional wrestling that uh, very hard to to sell on an outsider, but Bruno San Martino is one of those figures that just lent so much credibility to this industry. That was just a completely honorable individual that you could see was he was dictated by his moral compass much more than um just just being your you know a a a professional wrestler that you would assume was just you know out there and looked at this as you know uh, a sleazy industry this guy did not project anything that would make you look down on professional wrestling and i, I think he is he w- he was a rare breed when you look at at some of the the figures in professional wrestling not all of them negative but bruno san martino was just Someone that I, I think if you were a father in the Northeast would be someone com- you would have comfortable with your children looking up to. Oh, yeah. I think for me, the perennial baby faces of that time, uh, mm-hmm. he was kind of like this everyman wrestler. Like he was like the ultimate blue collar wrestler, I feel, you know, fighting against all these like kind of, I don't know, how do we say assholes? Like like everyone managed by Lou Albano, everyone managed by the Grand Wizard, everyone managed by, I suppose, later on, uh, Freddie Blassie. Um, these are all the guys that, okay, you're going to fight Bruno. Bruno's going to be headlining Madison Square Garden. Bruno's going to defeat these, these, uh, dire, you know, villains, heels. And he didn't, he didn't, he doesn't even have to be the baby, the, the champion. He could have been, he's just Bruno. Bruno in himself is an accomplishment. You know, he's one of those guys who didn't need the title. Yeah. It was just that audience that when you, you'll watch these old matches and just how they they lived and died through the, this man and that his wins and losses were going to dictate their mood leaving an arena and it was always just they were so strategic with the the right opponents and extending programs and knowing how long to to go with a program when to cut it off and it, it's just it's a remarkable run to look at specifically his time in the WWF but i mean for the purposes of this show as well, um, his connection to Giant Baba, which extended um, throughout the, the entire tenure. When when Bruno San Martino was WWF champion, he was never going to cross that promotional line, um, even though it was it, it was the WWF that had the relationship with Antonio Inoki at the time. Bruno was always loyal to Baba um, to the point he flew to Japan after Baba had passed away for his, his funeral service. Like it was an immense loyalty he had to the man. Yeah, they they wrestled, I think, originally for the WWF title in Madison Square Garden. This is during, I think, one of Giant Baba's excursions to America to kind of, like, legitimize himself. So the the, the way the system worked in the old uh, Japanese Wrestling Association, JWA, was that, like, Ricky Dozan would send his protégés, particularly Inoki and Baba, to, to America to do excursions and Baba was, is able to, because I think of his stature and like he, he, he was a unique looking wrestler and like, you know, Ricky Dozan and the JWA really put their efforts behind him more than they did Inoki at the time. Mm-hmm. So he got, he got these high profile title matches. And then of course the Japanese press would fly over. They would cover it because it was a big deal to them. Um, and one of his first, you know, major title matches was against Bruno San Martino who defeated him. But then Bruno, like, like, and like, as I understand it, Bruno uh, took care of Baba when he was in, like, America, in, New- in the Northeast area. They were saying, like, and Baba would bring his wife over and they would, Bruno and his family would take care of them, like, show them around and stuff like that. So they developed a really close friendship from all accounts. Um, when Bruno would go to Japan, he wrestled against Baba for the JWA title. Uh, it was in those rare instances, as I understand. He didn't defend his title. Like, usually if the champion, like the NWA champion, went to Japan, they, they were defending their title. Bruno was one of those rare cases where he would challenge for a Japanese title. And so that kind of also established that belt, established Giant Baba even more as like this larger-than-life figure in professional wrestling and in Japanese culture overall. I always just find it so interesting because this part is not going to be delved in too much by, well, at all by the WWE was the, it, there was always that rift between Bruno San Martino and Vince McMahon Sr. And I think it all stemmed from the original, uh, like blackballing that Bruno b- believed he was the victim of that forced him to have to go to Toronto. And I'm sure it was begrudgingly that 
McMahon saw this success and brought him in and, and made him his his focal point, and rightly so. He was the they both benefited from one another. But to me, it was it was an interesting example of a performer that understood his leverage and I think used it pretty effectively. He never he never overplayed his hand to the point that he put himself out on an island. He uh, but it was ultimately his drawing power that allowed him this leverage, and he understood that and was able to play that very much uh, against promoters that typically were used to uh, disposable parts that they could build their shows around. And if somebody was was going to cause them problems, they would just simply move on, and they couldn't just move on with Bruno. And that that was the whole impetus behind that second title run was they realized that the the best thing for their business at the time was bringing Bruno back. And that second title reign was gigantic for their their company. It's not, I think, hyperbole to state that if you did not have that that seminal figure in Bruno Sammartino, that the the worldwide wrestling federation would have had a, a drastically different future. I don't know if it would have ultimately gone out of business or anything, but I think that he he laid that groundwork for that company to be able to enter the eighties. Bruno is one of the three more pivotal wrestlers to help establish. Um, Giant Baba is a legend in professional wrestling. Um, him, uh, Gene Kaninsky, and this is the Destroyer, Dick Bear, are the uh, other two. Um, those guys fighting Baba really helped make Baba a big box office draw. And then when Baba, you know, jumped and formed All Japan Pro Wrestling, he brought th- those relationships with him as well, and that really helped the start of All Japan's business as well. The other major figure we want to talk about was uh, Matoko Baba, um, who it had been very quiet. She had been sick since last summer, uh, passing away from a cirrhosis of the liver. And I know that there had been uh, a ceremony held before one of the champion carnival events at the at Korkun Hall. Um, but this this one, WH, um, I'm curious as well, kind of the coverage of uh, Matoko Baba as well, who was, I mean, when you look at the the history of powerful figures forget just japanese but i would say in professional wrestling i think matoko baba would would rank amongst uh the high the high tier i think she's probably one of the more interesting figures in the history of wrestling because you don't really know who she was you know before before baba died like mm-hmm. she you didn't know how powerful she actually was um for my understand the coverage here wasn't that big I think Baba was this larger than life figure. Mrs. Baba was more like, oh, that's his wife. And then she succeeded him. I think within wrestling, she was far more famous in the general public. Not as much. Um, she she kept her family, kept her passing away and the, the service like really secretive. I think they really value their privacy. Um, so it, there wasn't too much coverage about it outside of it. Again, like I don't follow mainstream japanese media that closely so i couldn't really say um it's interesting though like just as a side note before we continue on with her apparently she has a lot of memorabilia in her apartment in her big condo and she only has one um like heir which is like a niece or something like that so everyone's kind of curious what they're going to do with like all of giant baba's robes she also possesses the original triple crown championship belts um, and a lot of other things. So people are wondering, is this all going to go into a museum? What, are this just going to be score- put into storage? Nobody knows. Like there might be a, a, a push from all Japan to try and make it the original three belts back and use those again. Maybe that would be cool if they could actually use any of that or, or maybe Paul Levesque could sweep in and just buy it all up and it goes into the, the WWE access. They'll have their all Japan section. There you go. What's and all the fans be like? What's this stuff? <laughs> but yeah, she she was for all intents and purposes Giant Baba's partner, business partner. She helped him make all the big decisions. Um, if you were gonna make an analogy, Giant Baba was the doting father that everyone loved. Matoko Baba was the strict mother that a lot of people hated. Uh, so if there was a bad decision to be made. Like and to be like, okay, who's gonna be the who's gonna give the bad news to somebody? Ah, Mrs. Baba, you go tell that guy he's fired. Mrs. Baba, you tell that guy he's not getting a raise. Mrs. Baba, you tell this guy he's not coming back on any more tours with us. She did that. It wasn't really Giant Baba. He kept his image to the to the wrestlers. She was the one who was like, 
you're you're fired. You're not coming back. We're not giving you a raise. So she had this image among a lot of the wrestlers, like like they didn't like her because she they thought, oh, it's her fault. I'm not moving forward with my career. I'm not getting more money. I think this plays a large part in what subsequently happens after Baba dies, which is the split, the exodus yes. of Masawa into Noah. And like, the, you know, bought Mrs. Baba taking over all Japan and trying to keep it afloat, which she did successfully. I, I think she deserves a lot of credit for the fact that she could have easily just thrown the keys onto the table and walked away. And there were there were still people that relied on all Japan for their for their income, for their living. And she kept that thing going when not just the talent raid, losing NTV, like there was there was very little impetus other than trying to preserve uh, this legacy and keep people's jobs to continue this thing. I think she should be applauded that she continued this and at least saw it through until the whole Muda regime came in uh, several years later. Yeah. Like if if it wasn't for her, who she was, if it wasn't for who Misawa was, I honestly don't believe there would be a pro wrestling Noah. I honestly don't believe Japanese wrestling would look the way it is today. It would look completely different if those two actually got along and had the same vision for all Japan pro wrestling. Misawa would never have left. Mrs. Baba would probably eventually have sold it to him. It, 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 you know, it makes you think what would happen to Mudo because he left New Japan because he was just disgusted with the direction it was going in with the Enokia office, with the influx of MMA. And he wanted to keep pro wrestling pure. And so he jumped to all Japan. He took Kendo Kashin and, you know, um, Satoshi Kojima. In, Satoshi Kojima and he brought Kaz Hayashi in. And these guys really helped. Kojima and Kaz Hayashi more because Kashin went insane and he left eventually. But Kaz Hayashi was really instrumental in bringing up that junior division. Kojima really helped establish the Triple Crown to New York for his generation of wrestlers and helped really train a lot of the guys that you see. And, and that can kind of uh, segue us over to um... – the Champion Carnival, which just wrapped up on Monday, uh, came down to uh, Naomichi Marafuji. This kind of ties into the whole, you know, uh, All Japan exodus that formed uh, Noah with Marafuji, a very uh, young professional wrestler at the time he he joined Masawa and company, uh, winning the tournament, uh, defeating uh, Kento Miyahara on Monday. Um, I've seen the match. I thought it was um, really solid, really solid finals uh, between the two. I would say highlighted or uh, at least frightened me watching this pile driver on the edge of the apron. Yeah, that wasn't the most frightening thing I see during this tournament, but I, I can understand, uh, you know, your sentiment. I, I'm really tired of apron spots just as a general thing. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, that's actually my number five match. If I'm going to list the top five matches I've seen during the tournament. Um, really good tournament. I was really excited when they announced the blocks. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this show. I, I picked two shows I was going to go to. I was going to pick um, the uh, April 15th show in Hakata in Fukuoka Prefecture uh, for two reasons. One, the card looked really good. Two, I really wanted to go to Hakata Star Lanes. It's on my bucket list of venues. And uh, the uh, April 29th show at Korokan Hall, which is the second last show of the, the Champions Carnival. Um, so I'm going to say the Best match I watched during the entire tournament. And I've seen, actually, I'm going to say I saw all of, 95% of all the matches of the tournament. Some matches I was like, okay, I'll watch that later. I'll watch that later. But I'm going to say I watched 95% of all the matches. My number one match, and I got to see this live, I'm so happy, was uh, from April 29th at Korokan Hall, Shuji Ishikawa versus Shingo Takagi. It was an epic war. It, it, it could have been held in Budokan Hall, and it would have been it would have elicited the same response from the crowd as it did in Corican. This crowd went nuts, dude. I can't even tell you like my whole section. And I was sitting. If you are familiar with Corican Hall, I was sitting in the orange section seats, uh, which are way more comfortable than the bleachers and the floors. Uh, I had perfect view of the ring. Beautiful, beautiful view. Great people around me. They were all into this match. People behind me were into it. It was just a great atmosphere, and this match was so, so good. If you're going to watch any match from this from this tournament, watch Ishikawa versus Takagi. It was amazing. Uh, number two, uh, from April 15th, another match I saw live, Shuji Ishikawa versus Kento Miyahara. Uh, I've seen this one. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> I think they did a 
Fire Thunder Driver on the apron, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of that stuff around. Yes, the uh, the apron spots are in were in full effect uh, throughout this carnival. Yes, uh, number three, uh, same show, uh, Shingo Takagi versus Yuji Hino, uh, the loudest chops I've ever heard live, guaranteed. And I've seen matches with Roderick Strong in ROH in in Ted Reeve Arena, so that's saying something. Uh, number four. Yeah, that 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 show, by the way, is probably like the standout show to watch of the of the tournament so far. Just with those two matches that WH listed, I mean, we're tremendous. Uh, number four would be uh, Naomichi Marafuji versus Jin Nakayama. So much history in this match because we allude to, and it goes back to like this the Exodus. It it alludes to the Exodus of Jin Nakayama from Noah back to all Japan. <laughs> There's a lot of history yes. there. It's very complicated. You know, um, that was April 25th at Corican Hall. Just brutal. Just Akiyama just went to town on him. You know, just he felt he was being disrespected throughout the match. And he's like, fuck you. And then he just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I'm going to say something. I was watching a bit of uh, some New Japan. I was catching up on New Japan. And these young lions, when they have matches with Yuji Nagata, Yuji Nagata, they should count their blessings that they work for all New Japan and they don't work for all Japan. Because in the same circumstances, Jun Akiyama would beat the ever-living shit out of each and every one of them. Nagata takes care of them. He kicks them yeah. a little hard, but he takes care of them. Akiyama would be throwing them outside the ring, into the seats. He'd be suplexing them, power driving them on the, on the floor. They're just lucky they work for you know New Japan. I'm just going to say that. And finally, my fifth favorite match from this tournament was the finals. Naomichi Marufuji versus Kento Miyahara from April 30th. At Corican Hall, yeah, and and with the tournament win, not only do you have the outsider winning, but um, following Noah's big show on Sunday, you had Naomichi Marafuji uh, confront Takeshi Sugiura to set up a title match for May 29th, and now you theoretically have Marafuji going for both the GHC and Triple Crowns yeah. coming out of this, and they're like five days apart. So on May 24th at Corican Hall. He's going to fight for the Triple Crown against Kento Miyahara. And then, like, on May 29th at Corken Hall, he's going to fight Takashi Sugiura for the GHC heavyweight title. It'll be an interesting thing to see what happens. Like, I can easily see Marafuji having the momentum to winning both those and holding both of those. I'm, I'm under the impression that they're going to try to strengthen maybe their business relationship with each other. It would make sense. Um, I hope it happens because I think Noah really needs it. I think it'll help all Japan, but Noah would really, really benefit. Yeah, so with uh, with Marufuji, uh I'm with you. I think you could do some really interesting things here between these two title matches. I mean, on the surface, you would think Miyahara just gets the win back, but I think that kind of does a kind of does a disservice to what you've just uh, set up here. And if if that is the intent to strengthen this relationship, then I think the idea of putting the title on Marufuji sets up a a lot of interesting matches and a lot of cross-pollination between the two going into the summer this year. I think it's more interesting for the Triple Crown like if Marufuji holds it. Miyahara is like, you know, the perennial he's the ace of the company, he's the perennial champion now. It's not that interesting, him being the champion, in my opinion. Like, you could set up the title matches of people he's lost after Marafuji. Like, with Shingo, for example, Shingo beat him in the opener of the Champion Carnival. So, you, you have a title match there looming. Um, but I just don't think it's interesting. Like, I think the chase would be far more lucrative. And, like, I think if they're looking to expand their, you know, the, the streaming service, then you want to create more interest. Okay, have Marafuji on the show, have Marafuji defend his title against, you know, Suwama, have him defend it against Akiyama, have him defend it against um, maybe Nomura or Jake Lee in the down the line, and then eventually build towards a big show with Miyahara maybe at either Budokan, maybe they can return to Budokan in the future, maybe they can do Sumo Hall, they're more likely to do Sumo Hall than, than Budokan, but like build towards that, I think that's a far more interesting booking choice than keeping the belt on Miyahara. Winner gets the subscribers to All Japan TV. Winner gets the streaming service. Between Noah and, and All Japan? Yeah. All Japan puts their streaming service up on the line against Noah. Listen, that... It's like, why start from scratch? We can take the existing database that All Japan has put together. This is a 2018 program. This is exactly that. I guarantee you, like, I think... What's his name? 
President Ikeda of NOAA, he's probably thinking, hey, maybe I can uh, present that to Akiyama. And then Akiyama's going to be like, uh, no, get your own service. <laughs> uh, so, you know, given uh, so much involving all Japan and, and NOAA, how how uh, I guess pessimistic are you? Are not pessimistic, but do you see any chance of a NOAA representative in the G one this year, or do you think that that is kind of there's a wall no. right now between New Japan? No, and I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I'm far more excited about the prospect of uh, Daisuke Sakamoto possibly being in the G one because he's doing a Lionsgate show, you know, and so that to me, like that opens the, that's the door opener. That's his foot in the door. I think that's a test for him, like if they can work with him, see how he is backstage at their events, how he was going to work with their young lions, and then maybe they're going to approach him. Would you like to be in the G1? I think that would be the most amazing addition. The other person I would really like to see in the G1 this year would be uh, Jeff Cobb. I think they just dropped the ball not using him after last year's uh, World Tag League. We'll see what happens. But those two names, like if those two guys are in there, I'm going to try to go... Well, I'm going to try to go to as many G1s this year as I can. So we'll see. Yeah. So overall, I mean, this has to have been a pretty... A, the matches were really solid. B, uh, this was the first year you could follow the carnival from start to finish. So I thought it was a really progressive step forward for All Japan, just making the tournament available. And I think that they they launched... I, I didn't expect All Japan TV to be... You know this enormous success out of the gate, but I thought they launched it at the right time to and having this as a as an initial hook for that audience to go seek it. Out. I think the I think the Champion Carnival really saved their streaming service because I'm going to say their first show. I watched it live. I, I've subscribed to it and I watched it live. I was not impressed with the card itself. The crowd was horribly mic'd. The the atmosphere of that card from Saitama was really really poor. I was like, it's not really promising service so far like if this is what we're gonna get so i think from the the halfway halfway point of the champions carnival the quality of these shows overall just went up and especially the carnival matches i'm gonna say from the hakata show just just went up 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 i mean there was more buzz about them the buzz before the hakata matches were wasn't so high like people were like oh that's okay that was okay and then it's like oh my god that was amazing that was amazing this one's amazing this one's amazing watch this one watch this one especially on twitter a wrestling twitter like the people i follow they all like the same things i like they weren't so you know excited about the champion carnival before the 15th and then after the 15th just went up 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 plateaued i really think with the the 29th show in my opinion yeah that april 15th show i mean i I was actually in the midst of watching it when you had contacted me stating I had to go out of my way to see those two matches. And that to me was the it was good to have that kind of a lightning rod show to really grab everyone's attention because that was a it was a tremendous show. Uh, Let's move on over to New Japan. They ran a pair of cards over the weekend uh, with April 27th. uh, That was headlined by Hiroki Goto and Juice Robinson. And then Sunday's uh, Hinokuni card featured Tetsuya Naito winning the Intercontinental title from Minoru Suzuki. Um, I, I thought Goto and Robinson, uh, was the match of either show, um, by a pretty wide margin. Um, Naito and Suzuki, I was, I was kind of disappointed with, I, I just didn't think it really clicked and hit that second gear and there was expectation for the match that really wasn't met. I have not watched Goto versus, uh, Robinson yet just cause it kind of fell by the wayside as far as like catching up for me. Uh, I'm going to watch it after the show <laughs> that we do right now. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, but I did watch all of uh, Wrestling Hinokuni. Um, I thought the entire show was really oddly paced. Like every match seemed yes. like really long, in my opinion. And I don't know if it's the crowd or the way they were mic'd, but that crowd was really dead compared to like a Tokyo crowd or an Osaka crowd and, and like some other cities. I really didn't get a good feel of the show. Um, Komodo maybe is not a great city for them but there were shots of the crowd during the Naito Suzuki match everyone in the audience looked tired <laughs> they were just like Ugh. I I'm not gonna lie I felt tired by the main event like this to me was not the most inspiring card either that went out and and galvanized this audience either I think that your big takeaway was yes you got a big title change on a fairly minor show and you had the Okada Tanahashi brawl after their match and and I really enjoyed the uh, the tag title match. I thought Evil and Sonata against Killer Elite Squad was uh, a very good tag match. I was kind of 
uh, half and half about that match. Um, I'm glad they retained, but at times that match went went too long, and at times it felt like a handicap match. I think the spot where they did the the killer bomb through the table to Sonata, and then just them beating up Evil just dragged for for me. I was just like, oh fuck, come on, where's Sonata? Okay, he's selling this stupid table spot, but when he finally tagged in the the last half the last part of the match was really good and i liked it and i'm really happy they kept the belts i really think they need to rehabilitate these tag belts just keep it on them forever please give it to them for at least a year have them fences with with these belts um yeah that suzuki naito match i don't know like i was like getting tired okay he's he's putting him another leg lock oh he's got him in an arm lock now and i love suzuki i like naito a lot so I was really conflicted about watching this match. The Destino, just out of the end, I was like, oh, the match is over. But then, you know, someone that was it. pointed out to me, you know, Minoru Suzuki rarely, if ever, kicks out of finishers. If he gets hit by a finisher, he doesn't, he doesn't usually kick out. He doesn't do a false finish. He'll, he will kick out of other things. He won't kick out of, like, big... I, I had no issue with it just being the one Destino. I just thought that the climax of the match, it didn't feel as though you had you had reached it. Um, it just it felt somewhat flat up until that point. That I'm fine with a guy winning with one one move. I think sometimes that's not done enough. Um, I thought going 30 minutes was, you know, on paper you would say Naito Suzuki 30 minutes, sure. But I think in hindsight that was too long. I think that they've come. It's almost now expected that you have to go 30 in a New Japan main event which is fine if you're doing Tanahashi Okada, but for, for certain main events on other shows, I would want to mix it up a bit. And you're right. I think I think the long knee bar, it just the audience was on their hands for it. I didn't think there was any drama attached to the submission. And, and then you just raced through the comeback and the finish. And I think it was just the audience, it was kind of just met with indifference. I think also what didn't help this show overall was the, um, the two singles matches between like, Desperado Kanemaru and uh, Bushi and Hiromu, like the way it was structured, I thought, okay, you should have just made Bushi <laughs> Desperado like 10 minutes or five minutes and then just got to Hiromu Kanemaru if you're going to book it like that. Also so late in the card doing that where, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're doing a singles match on the second half of the card, it's got to be with important people. And you had one important person spread out in those two matches and I was interested to see how it would work but when you're doing a DQ finish and then racing into the next match I don't know the the presentation was different I'll give them that they tried something different but I didn't think that really connected either and I also feel Takahashi is just kind of you know bogged down in this junior heavyweight title feud at the moment that he just seems kind of uh above this given the characters that are involved well, we could talk about him like later on in this podcast because we'll talk about the best of the Super Juniors, right? What has your interest uh, for the Dontaku cards that are coming up? We've got Thursday and Friday. Um, the big matches on the first night are rematch from Wrestle Kingdom with Cody and Kota Bushi, and then the main event is Kenny Omega, Hangman Page. Second night uh, features Will Ospreay and Kushida and Kazuchika Okada against Hiroshi Tanahashi. So it will be... I think the, the lion's share of the interest will be in those uh, final two matches on night two. Well, I'm going to say night one is really going to test the strength of the Golden Lover storyline. It's really going to test the strength of the New Japan brand. That's on a Thursday night, that show. The, the first night one's on a Thursday night. So they got that working against them. Uh, they got like Omega, which is fine, against Hangman Page, which to the internet is fine. I don't know how big of a draw he's going to be for your casual Japanese wrestling fan. Uh, he doesn't tour here enough where, where it would be a big match. If it was Omega against P- Cody again, a rematch from uh, Super Card of Honor, maybe that would draw better, but we'll see. Ibushi versus Kota versus uh, Cody is fine. I'm, I think that'll be a really good match. I don't know. Like this, the, night, night one doesn't really interest me too much. It feels really more like an ROH card than it does a New Japan card. Yeah, I can see that. It's it's kind of like their process now of like doing these 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 back to back nights where you kind of take what could be one really deep card and break it off into two. And yeah, I agree. I think that 
I think what you're encouraging now with your streaming audience especially is that with so much content, um, they look at these two cards and you're going to have – you will have your percentage that are going to sit down and watch 18 matches. But I think the majority are probably going to cherry pick four to five matches that they hear about over these two cards and you're going to have more emphasis on your main players and kind of the undercard is forgotten about until it's a big show and people are going to sit down and watch a show from start to finish. Like I can understand why they're spraying it out over two nights. Like this is, this is being held in Fukuoka, which is like really far. Like I'll tell you, like I went to Hakata, which is in Fukuoka. This is not in Hakata Starlines. This is like the Fukuoka Prefectural Gymnasium or the Fukuoka Dome or something. Um, it's far from Tokyo, dude. It's like a six-hour Shinkansen ride. That and that's without like transfers at, at Nagoya or maybe in Shinosaka. It's not a cheap ticket either. Like it cost me quite a bit. And I wasn't. I was traveling maybe like an hour less than I would from Tokyo Station. You know what I mean? So for outside people from Tokyo to go to this show, like it's it's saying a lot. They're gonna have to draw a lot of people from Hiroshima and like in the Hyogo prefecture to go to the show. So I'm not sure about night one. Like I said, Thursday night, that's not really an appealing night for people to go out and watch wrestling. I'm going to say that right off the bat. If it's not Tokyo. Oh, you're not, you're not making the trip back. <laughs> mm, no, I'm not. Dude, I got, <laughs> I got like about seven shows of the G1 I'm planning to see. So I'm going to save my money for wow. that. So we'll see about that. Um, night two. Yes, that's awesome. That's a Friday night. That's Tana versus Okada. That's Osprey versus Kushida. That's not going to have any problems selling out that venue. Um, I, I think Tana, it's very likely Tana's going to stop him breaking the record. I think they're going to do that story where he's going to break, he's going to stop him and he's going to become the champion again. Yeah, and for those that like haven't been following the the lead up to this, I mean, Okada has been playing like the super cocky champion that believes he surpassed this guy long ago, and Tanahashi is now this is his last chance um, to 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 have that that role. I mean, it's a very I think that they've done a very good job of keeping these two apart. Their last match was what the G one two thousand sixteen where they did the time limit draw. Um, and prior to that was the Wrestle Kingdom match where Okada finally beat him at the Dome. Uh, so it's been a long enough time. And if you are going to have someone stop him, um, this this would be the argument to do so. I feel that it's Okada ultimately retains. And I think they're going to go to Kenny Omega for the next uh, opportunity. That's where I think that things are, are headed here. But a Tanahashi win, I, I wouldn't be sh- shocked by it either. Um, it would definitely... Um, it would definitely throw things up and create a lot of new matches. And what you have coming out of this is that that record is tied by the two people that have been the cornerstones of this renaissance for New Japan since 2011. And I think they respect Tanahashi. These things matter, you know, in Japan. So I think they respect they, they respect him enough where they say, okay, he's not going to beat Tanahashi's record. He's going to... He's gonna, they're going to tie that. They're they're two most important people to our company in this modern era. Okay, we got to respect that. He's not going to beat it. It was a big deal when Tanahashi surpassed Nagata. You know what I mean? That was a big fucking deal. So I can't imagine they're they're going to do it with Okada in this title reign. Like maybe you could, and he's still young. Okada, his next title reign, he could do it. You know what I mean? I think it would be perfect. Fucking Tanahashi stops him right now. And then it's more interesting going to the G1 with him as the champion, I think, than Okada. And then Okada's hunting for it. You know what I mean? Um, but weren't they teasing, like, Omega versus Zack Sabre Jr.? They teased that at uh, Hinokuni. Yeah, they did They did have that tease. So you're right. They are kind of – they're dangling a lot with Kenny Omega. I mean, he's got several programs and directions you can go to. I guess you've always got that in your back pocket, the Okada match. And it's just a question of when they go to it because – we're almost, you know, we're almost getting into G1 season, which was their last match where Omega got that win and and pinned the champion. So I think that that's somewhere they will get to at some point. I guess the question is, what is what is their plan for A, Dominion, and B, for the Cow Palace? And if that's something that they're going to, they're going to play that card for one of those shows. What uh, looking, uh, looking ahead to Dominion, do you have any prediction on what you feel uh, will be the top one or two matches on that show. 
Well, you know, I'm going to say one of the great things about New Japan, one of the frustrating things about New Japan at the same time is like, it's hard to predict what they're going to do. You know, I don't know. Cause I didn't think Suzuki, I don't think Suzuki was going to lose the IC title to Naito. I really didn't. I don't see what the point of him having that belt is. One of my friends said he's a new Nakamura. Naito's the new Nakamura. He's never going to win the belt again. He's just going to be the IC champ or he's going to be the perennial like contender. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that's true. I think the ultimate game plan for Naito is to beat Okada at the Dome. Whether it's for the title or not, I don't know. But I think the idea of o- Naito beating Okada is far more important to him than beating him for the title. So I think you can free up the G1 and Wrestle Kingdom to other people being in the, the you know quote-unquote main event uh, for that. Dominion, if Okada wins, then I see like Naito challenging him and trying to become double champion. Mm. That's what I see with Okada winning. If Tanahashi wins, maybe Naito, maybe Suzuki. I can also see Zack Sabre Jr. putting in a, like a, a challenge and say, hey, I beat you. You should kind of cut finals. You're the champion. I want I want another shot at that belt. I don't think Zack Sabre Jr. this year is ever going to win the IWGP heavyweight title. I think that's maybe a year, two years from now if he stays with the company. He's in that mix, though. Is it likely or unlikely that Chris Jericho is on one of those cards, uh, Dominion or the Cow Palace? Well, he said like he's done with the company, right? Like, I don't think that's, that's what true. he says. Yeah, that's, I don't think that's true. Listen, do you think Ghetto is a type of booker that says, "Hey, you're gonna no. you're gonna run an angle with with Chris Jericho and Naito"? Hey, but we haven't locked down Jericho for for in a contract for another future date for this match. They're not. That was my tip off. There was no like any other promotion. Eh, I could buy. Maybe there was some kind of uh, you know something fell apart. Not with Ghetto and not booking an angle like that where there was no definitive plan for a follow-up and i very much expect jericho to be back at some point and these two shows coming up would be the most likely candidates like maybe ghetto because he thinks uh this is my friend we've been friends for a long time but sugibashi there's no fucking way that guy would would allow that to happen he's like you got you got this guy locked down right we have him locked down uh no his word's good no 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 lock him down before you do this angle I think the way he's positioned it, though, has been very smart for Jericho. Oh, like, he, yes. has, he has gone out and said that, listen, I drew all this money. So to bring me back, it's going to take a lot. So even if a deal's in place, the next time he steps foot in a New Japan ring, it's the subliminal message is, wow, look at this star. He is worth so much money to this company. Whatever his demands were, they were met. What a big star he is. I think, I think Chris Jericho has studied the playbook of Conor McGregor and... That is his influence, and I think he's. Well, I hope he's not going to attack the New Japan bus. Me too. Barricade. God, I hope not um, either. He's gonna. I hope he. I hope he can learn the good and the negative uh, from a Conor McGregor. But I think he's very heavily influenced from him, and what has set Conor McGregor apart by positioning himself as this gigantic star whose whose value is known to its audience and presenting himself as such. But you know, who re- think, really reminds me of is like Bruiser Brody. He really reminds me of a modern-day Bruiser Brody and the way he presents himself and the way he conducts his business publicly. You know, like, I am i don't wrestle for these guys. They don't pay me enough. I wrestle for here because they pay me more, and which is legit for Bruiser Brody. But also, like, he created this perception through wrestling magazines that anytime he showed up, you're thinking the company that he's working for is a big deal because they could afford Bruiser Brody, you know? Um, so I think Jericho's the same way. He's like, doesn't matter if you come back to New Japan. You're right, subliminally, all the fans are gonna be like, "Wow, he's a huge star. They paid his fee." When he goes back to WWE, they're also gonna think, "Wow, they paid his fee. He's back." You know, he's just made himself really the most valuable independent, you know, contractor, you know, so to speak, in all of professional wrestling. It's great. I, I love Chris Jericho. He's so smart. Uh, let's go on to the uh, the Super Juniors. It will be uh, kicking off May 25th, goes through June the 4th. And thus far, the names we have attached to it are Kushida, Will Ospreay, Hiromu Takahashi, Marty Skrull, Flip Gordon, who will be in his first uh, Best of Super Juniors, Dragon Lee, who is currently dealing with a partially torn quad, Bushi, Yo and Sho, Ryusuke Taguchi, Tiger Mask, El Desperado, and Yoshinobu Kenamaru. Um, I would 
guessed that you know a lot of the usual suspects you would anticipate for this. Um, a little bit of uh, new blood in this, but uh, what stands out for you for the Super Juniors? Does this uh, captivate your interest off the bat, WH? Uh, Rapongi 3K members is interesting for me. I'm going to be curious if they're in different blocks. I'll assume they will be. I'm going to assume they're going to keep show and Kushida in separate blocks because that's my prediction. Maybe for the finals. I can also see Hiromu going to the finals and winning the whole thing. But I really feel they're really high on show. You know, even if they keep him in the tag team, they're really high on that guy for like yeah. the future. And he's like their best blue chip prospect right now that isn't riddled with injuries or and has just, you know, come back from excursion. Him and him and Yo are a really great tag team. But I think the future for this guy is singles run first as a junior, then they're gonna move him to heavyweight. That's what I think is gonna happen. Um so I think just by the way, after after the New Japan Cup, I don't think anyone is going to be questioning WH's forecast. Oh. You you mapped that thing out. So I think uh, the floor is yours here for these predictions. I think everyone should be writing this down. Well, like, so I'm thinking Sho is going to win it. He's either, he's either going to fight, he's either going to fight Kushida or he's going to fight Hiromu in the finals. But Hiromu has an excellent chance because I think they need to rehabilitate Hiromu big time, you know, these from these past six months you know re, re, the way he's been booked especially in the junior tag league in the junior tag division like him and Bushi are a great tag team and they've been having really good matches with 3k and suzuki gun but they they really need to give him a big big win i think also the storyline is really good for him to eventually beat osprey for that title you know i think he's the one who should take the belt from osprey so i'm conflicted i would really like show to win i think that would be a really good boost for him i think it would be a really good Excellent match if it's him and Kushida. Because I think their they're kind of backgrounds really mix well with each other. But Hiromu's there. But you can save that for like later on, you know, like in the fall. You know, we can, we can save that for that. And Osprey doesn't have to lose the show. You know, Osprey can keep until like September, October. And then he fights Hiromu then and he loses the belt then. Or, you know, I, wouldn't, I would not be opposed to Osprey going all the way to Wrestle Kingdom as a champion. I think that would be a good, good idea too. Uh, do you expect Bone Soldier to be inserted this year? Dude, who do you think Bone Soldier is going to be? I don't think it's going to be Hirasawa. I think they got a new person uh, to be Bone Soldier. Well, I mean, Taiji Ishimori's name has been thrown out, which, I mean, I guess the, politically it's now, you know, it's a possibility they could put him in that role. Um, I just, I hate that gimmick. I hate that gimmick for anybody. Um, yeah. I don't think. I mean, it, it's it's better you have someone talented than someone not, but I, I just think it's a dead end gimmick ultimately. I think Ishimori, if he's coming in, he's going to be himself. Um, so like the people. Filled because it's got to be a, a eight, eight in each block. So 16 in total. Um, who would you like to see? I don't know who they're going to put in. I, I have a list of who I would like to see. In, in the best of the Super Juniors and, like, kind of debuting for New Japan. Do you have anyone you would like to see? You know, just because they've... I, I don't expect it, but they've just got such a big uh, number of young Lions now that I would like to see that one guy in there, but um, I, I'm not necessarily holding my breath for it. Like, I, I've been really impressed with, like, this current crop of young Lions that just to have, uh, you know, isolate whoever it is, Umino or even Renderita... And he goes in, and he could lose all the matches, but I think they'd be really, you know, fun matches to have that guy in there that's just the the guy getting his first chance at anything in this Super Juniors. But I'm curious to hear your list as well. Well, I, if they're going to put a young lion in there, I think they'll put Narita in there, not Amino. I think they're saving Amino for heavyweight. Oka's definitely not going to go in there. He's not a heavy. He's not a junior heavyweight. Um, my my number one hope is uh, Fred Yehai from Evolve, I think he would fit really well in New Japan. Um, outside Chance is a, a excellent, excellent junior heavyweight from Big Japan Pro Wrestling by the name of Takuya Nomura. Go check his matches out. He's so good. He's like a young version of Shibata without the headbutts, okay? Like, this guy is such a dick. He's a young, fiery dick. He hates all the veterans. He just does terrible things to them when he's in the ring with them. He kicks people really hard. He would be amazing to see in a New Japan ring. Um, my other outside choices would be Taiji Shimori. I don't think that's going to happen, but may- maybe. He's, he's an outside chance. 
Um, David Starr, I think, would be a good fit. And maybe, maybe Travis Banks. And I say that because he's, he works for RevPro along with Progress, but he could, through that relationship, maybe get in as well. Yeah, that's. A, I, I would like to see either a, a UK or Australia uh, representative in there. I mean, that's such a big part of their, especially Australia. I mean, they're being very aggressive about going there. I think that that would that would certainly be a wise choice to to go with somebody. Isn't Travis Banks New Zealand? Is isn't he a New Zealand? Uh, yes, I believe he's he is New Zealand. Yes. Looking ahead, just to. Uh, the streaming services we want to discuss. You have uh, gone through and kind of ranked uh, the streaming services. Is this a top five list? It's a top four list. Top four list. Okay. Well, let's yeah. let's go in ascending order. Why don't we start at number four? These are WH's uh, streaming services that maybe you haven't had a chance to uh, sample yet, and he's going to give you his recommendation and maybe a buy or sell on each streaming service. Okay. So my rankings are based on. Uh, several criteria one is like content amount of content uh number two would be ease for english speakers to use uh and number three would be kind of the platform use like what platform they're using to like is it does it is it easy to search for names search for shows is it easy to um scroll through matches like going back or forward i want to skip this i'm going to go 10 seconds forward i want to go 10 seconds back is there an app this is actually the big thing for me there's no app for any of these, the four that I'm going to list. There has, these guys have to get an app. Please get an app. Like seriously, like new Japan is awesome. I don't include new Japan in this by the way, cause that's the, the measuring stick. Okay. New Japan has an app on the Amazon fire TV. That's the reason I bought fire TV. I use it for other things now, but that's the main reason it's beautiful. I can watch this on my HD TV. It's amazing. I don't have to stream it or get Chromecast. Please pl- put it on the Roku, put it on, Chromecast, Apple TV, I don't care. Just get an app. Let me watch it on my phone with, you know. Every service needs to be Chromecast compatible in 2018. That to me that's crazy. We might sound like snobs, but that's that's just the bare minimum for me. Bare now. minimum. Also, but an app, please. New Japan has it, WWE has it, just get an app. Anyways, number 4, Dragon Gate Network. Um primarily I'm not a big fan of the two-tier system of Dragon Gate. So for uh, 999 yen, you get um, the videotape library, which goes back to about 2014. But they have all the Kobe World Wrestling Festival, which is their version of WrestleMania, back to 2005. So that's that's, that's good. good. I'm sure they're going to expand their archives as they go along. Um, but for 1500 yen, which is like $15, rough, give or take, you get the... Um, all the pay-per-views, so all their major shows live. You get um, the, these things called Prime Zone events, which is like in their Dragon Gate studio, um, and then just extra shows. I'm on the, two, on the I'm on the higher tier system. I, I share with a friend, so um, which is we split the cost of that. But the thing is with Dragon Gate, they don't allow like simultaneous logins. Like, some services will allow, like, okay, there's a family plan. Okay, you can log in through your phone. You can log into your computer. So I have to tell my friend, hey, you're not logged into Dragon Gate, are you? I want to watch some stuff. It's really fucking annoying. <laughs> I'll say that. No other service does this. Only Dragon Gate. Like, some, some services will limit the amount of logins. Like, because, every, listen, everyone has a phone. Everyone has a computer. Everyone has, like, something related to their TV. Everyone has a tablet probably you're all going to be logged in at the same time. This is stupid. I'm sorry, it's stupid. I can understand you don't want like what I'm doing, which is dipping, which is like sharing. So that's four. That's why they're number four on my list. Content is great. Dragon Gate is great. I'm going to say booking of Dragon Gate right now is not that exciting to the point where I'm hoping Shingo Takagi leaves like Dragon Gate and goes to all Japan because it would be far more interesting for him. Uh, moving on, let's go to what's number four. Uh, number three, uh, All Japan uh, TV, AGPW.TV. It costs 900 yen. Um, it doesn't go back that far. It only goes back to last year, the archives. But the current shows has been really good. The Champion Carnival has been really excellent. Um, I think like upcoming shows are going to be really, really interesting, especially the undercard. I will say this, John, like, 
Uh, I mentioned the Hakata show as being really good. Those two matches being really good. But I'm going to say the April 29th and the April 30th undercards at Korokin, not the non-carnival matches, were really, really good. Go out of your way to watch those entire shows. Um, so I'm hoping the rest of the, you know, the shows coming up are going to be really good. Um, I'm going to say this about All Japan's English content. Uh, you have a, They use Google Translate. It's horrible. Some of these translations of Japanese names, it, I'm like, who is that? Choi Choi 2. Fuck is that? Ah, that's Ryoji Sai. I don't know how that happens. Okay. Uh, and then it's like Suwama something Suwama again. It's like oh, this this translation sucks. Um, oh, Dragon Jesus. Gate's not that much wow. better. I'll say that. Um, so it might be a bit of a chore for you to figure out these Google translations. Anyways, um, finding shows is is not that difficult. Maybe they need to go out and. And hire Chris Charlton. He can just be the official translator for all these these services to you. I don't think he'd audience. have any time to write his book then. <laughs> and his day job, his shoot job, which we won't talk about. But anyways, he's got a he's got other things to do as well. I, I don't think he'd have the time in, in a week, let alone a day, to get through all of these things. Um but yeah, like anyways, we'll get on to that. But it, it's a good service. Hopefully they're gonna I'm on the fence about it, I'll be honest. We'll see how the rest of this year goes. I'm going to make a final decision in December. If if the rest of New Japan's booking has been good, it kind of goes back to like earlier in the year, which is which, when it's good, it's okay, but nothing exciting. I might just drop it. We'll see what happens. I might dip here and there. Like okay, real world tag league. I'm gonna I'm gonna subscribe. I'm gonna cancel it. Champion Carnival. I'm gonna subscribe. I'm gonna cancel it. We'll see what happens. Uh, number th- two, uh, DDT Universe, which is 900 yen. And this is kind of surprising because I really don't like DDT, but I get it mainly for uh, Tokyo Joshi Perez, which I've gotten into recently, which is really good women's promotion in Japan. Um, they're related to DDT, so it's available on their platform. But I will say for the sheer amount of content you get for that 900 yen, you get DDT, the main promotion. You get their DNA promotion. You get their Basara promotion. You get Tokyo Joshi Pros, and you get this thing called Gambare Protez. Some of this stuff is just pure comedy. Some of it's like their young, you know, their young guy system. It, it's 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 okay, but for the amount of money you pay, it, it's an amazing amount of content. The platform is excellent. Like the shows are easy to find. And you want to tag a wrestler, you can find all the shows they've been on. It's organized really well. It's a really good system. I just wish I liked DDT more. That could be a that could be a deal breaker. <laughs> the, yeah, but I will say this, like the main event of DDT, I'm I'm interested in. The undercard comedy stuff, I just absolutely hate. I, I, I'm not really looking, you know, to pay to watch Joey Ryan like use his dick as a offensive weapon in a wrestling match. It just doesn't do anything for me. You know, do you know me and Wei uh unexpectedly ran into Chinsuke Nakamura at WrestleMania? Oh, did you? oh yeah, because I listened to the, the podcast from WrestleMania weekend. I, I just saw a clip of him in a grocery store where he's now incorporated the Shinsuke Nakamura low blow into his his act as this guy's playing a violin in the supermarket. I saw that. Yes. So there, great. there you go. I, I, by the way, can I just say I love how like Shinsuke Nakamura has made the low blow to AJ Styles the equivalent, the modern day equivalent of the RKO. That's how I feel it. It's been portrayed as. I think Nakamura has been awesome this last month. I just think God. he's totally reinvented himself. Like this was someone that was just kind of existing. Um, and it just seems like he's got such a renewed interest now um, in this new character. And I think he's been outstanding. So much reliance on the facials and the body expression. And it's just, it's all clicking for me. He's channeling, right? In, the, in this current incarnation, Toro Yano. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe they need to give him a DVD. They need to have Toro Yano show up and like do segments. Don't name him, but how to do the low blow. This is how the low blow. The art you know. of the low blow. It is there is an art to it. I mean, no one remembers China's low blows. I think that's maybe that's someone he's also channeling. No, it's it's Toriano, for sure. Just go watch Toriano's greatest low blows. I'm sure there's a video compilation on YouTube somewhere. And you'll see. Maybe someone's done a you know, side by side comparison. You know, Nakamura's low blows, Toriyama's low blows. Oh, my God. The form, the angle of his face, the facial expression. 
they're all the same. I'm sure there's... It's also the way AJ takes it as well. That is just puts it over the top. Dude, he's his hand is is like touching his belly button. It goes so far up. You know, it's amazing. I love it. But uh, I'm sorry. Let's go back. Finally, uh, number one is Stardom World. This this system is 750 yen. Yeah, I think it's like 650 in the United States. So I don't sure what that translates into Canadian, but it's probably the most affordable. Um, it gets you all their major shows. Um, it gets you their archive dating back to 2010. You can watch like some of their uh, DVD only releases of things like them going like the, the, the wrestlers going on tour in Mexico, um, them having pajama parties, things like that. Which, you know, if you, if you like the wrestlers, it's kind of interesting to watch. But anyways, but the wrestling is great. The top tier of stardom is the best wrestling it's some of the best wrestling anywhere. It doesn't matter what gender the wrestlers are. It's really good. Io Shirai, Mayu, Iwatani, like Kagetsu, all the members of Oedo Tai. They're, it's all really interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to say they um, they share Big Japan core. Oh, I should. That's maybe that's my number five. I, I forgot I subscribed to that. That's a good platform too, but maybe it's number five. Um, they don't present full shows. You have to like go to like the show, then you pick each match you want to watch. So they they divide each each like a May third show, and then in that you can watch each show each match individually. But they subtitle everything. Wow, like, that's all the great. promos, like explanations of the matches. They subtitle all of it, and these these are the best subtitles I've ever seen on any Japanese wrestling. And th- those are pretty good, but these are, I think, even better. They're so clear. Like, you can read them. They're different colors. They're, they're easy to read. And, like, I think the nuance is captured really well. You know, for me, like, I can understand enough Japanese. Like, sometimes I listen to, like, a New Japan World thing. I'm like, okay, that's not really what he said. Like, or my friends will meet me like, hey, I read the translation. That's bullshit. They actually said this. Oh, okay. So it's not wholly accurate sometimes what they're doing in New Japan, but the from Stardom Worlds. My only problem with Stardom World is that the content is delayed. Like you have to wait maybe two weeks, two and a half weeks before a show happens, and before it's translated, edited, and then put onto uh, Stardom World. But when it gets up there, it's worth it. It's worth it for seven hundred fifty yen. Yeah, I, I really want to watch the the Cinderella tournament that just happened this past Monday, and maybe maybe uh, the next show we do we can uh, we can talk about that because I I've I've seen very limited uh, stardom and uh, just looking at this tournament, I thought this would be a great show to just kind of watch and get familiar with all oh, yeah. the different characters involved. It's a sixteen woman tournament. Um, probably to North American fans, uh, you know, Brandy Rhodes would maybe be uh, the most uh, familiar, but it's. Uh, obviously one of their standouts of the, the entire year is the Cinderella tournament. It's not up yet on World. I don't think it'll be up for another maybe two weeks, maybe a week and a half. I think they're going to maybe rush getting it up. But Cinderella tournament, if you want to get into stardom, it's an excellent primer. Like their top wrestlers are in this tournament, the um, the foreign wrestlers that work for them. So we have B Priestley, and then you have Kagetsu, Yoshirai, Mayu, uh, Hanakimura, it is actually probably the best way to introduce yourself to these characters. And a lot of the storylines are, are like kind of intersecting recent storylines. Like they just did a draft, like where people shifted from units to units. So it was kind of interesting to see the dynamics of the relationships of them getting settled into their new units. So we'll, we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about it next one. I think probably by the time we do our next show, we'll have been able to watch the entire thing. Yes, so that will bring a close to the first edition of Post Puroresu. We'll be back in about a month's time, maybe right before Dominion, which uh, many different possibilities uh, of what could be happening. We'll have a card by then. Yeah, well, we will have a card by then, hopefully, uh, three, uh, just a couple days before. So uh, that's when we will aim for next uh, WH. As always, I want to uh, thank you for joining me uh, to chat all the latest and... 
Yes, we've got lots of shows coming up uh, this week on the site at postwrestling.com. Way and I will have a review on Friday of uh, both Dantaku cards, and uh, you can look forward to that at postwrestlingcafe.com. You can follow WH at WHPark9, the number nine, on Twitter. Uh, a man that will pleasure. always let you know what to check out on the Japanese scene. It's a, it's a very vast horizon, and he will tell you what, what is what out there and what is worth your time and what is not. And who looks good, whose gear looks good, whose gear looks like shit. Do you have a winner and a loser in terms of gear over the past month? Are there any that come to mind? Winner. Oh, I like, I like Sho Tanaka's new black tights. I think those look really swanky. Uh, okay. The perennial loser is Yoshitatsu still. My God, <laughs> have you seen what he's wearing? He's wearing Spider-Man themed tights, tassels on his arm, and he's still wearing and like the Bullet Club Hunter logo thing. Please, dude, you make enough money to go buy new tights. Buy some new tights. It's sad. Wow, there you go. Maybe a new segment that we just stumbled upon. <laughs> the, the the fashion winners and losers of the of the month. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can go to postwrestling.com, and we will speak with you later on this week. <laughs>